Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Matt Adams, and I'm joined by special correspondent, Ann Adams. Hello, everyone. Well, and Ann and I were trying to come up with a show topic for today, and sometimes when we do that, we uh, hit a little bit of a wall. There wasn't any really big, like, entertainment news to talk about, no big happenings in Star Wars or Marvel movies, which we love to talk about. And so I, I went and kind of did my reserve thing of sometimes I'll go and I'll look up different anniversaries of movies and happened to see that this uh, last week actually marked the 30th anniversary of the theatrical release of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's amazing. You know, one of the things we like to do on this show is as, as much as we like to look ahead at what's coming, sometimes we also like to look back at what's been. So uh, we're big fans of the Indiana Jones movies. I do say that there are four of them. Uh, there are some people out there who will tell you there are only three Indiana Jones movies because they discount Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as one of them, but I do not. And uh, I do love all of the movies. Last Crusade, is it's really a toss-up for me as far as my favorite between the Last Crusade and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, it's not even a contest for me. It, I love Last Crusade is my absolute favorite out of all of them. Now, your friend Jody would probably, probably whip you for that with a bullwhip, wouldn't she? She would. She is a diehard Raiders of the Lost Ark fan. That is like her. That's her thing. Yes, she loves. And she is absolutely in love with Harrison Ford. Well, who wasn't at and, that age? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I'm 36, and um, she is about uh, 8 to 10 years older than me. So she was actually, what, 13? Yeah, she was 13 when Indiana Jones... No, wait. Yeah, that'd be right. She would be 13 when Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. Oh, 1989? And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, um, and so she would have been in her, you know, her teen years... You know, she would have been a kid or into her pre-teen, teenage years when the Indiana Jones movies came out. And, of course, she remembered Star Wars. And she's a big Star Wars fan. But mainly, she's just a big... She's like my mom. She's like a huge Harrison Ford fan. And she about, like, had a coronary when they killed him in... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Yeah, that was tough. She just could not handle it. I mean, she was in mourning for, for weeks. Well, this, this movie is sort of... At the edge of peak Harrison Ford. It's it's not the end of it. This this is eight, 1989. I mean, Harrison Ford's still the biggest movie star in the world. But this is one of those movies that you, you start to see a gradual decline in the prominence of Harrison Ford. Probably the biggest movie after that that he was in was, I would say, Air Force One. I would agree. You know, yeah. as kind of the big... Because he did the Tom Clancy movies. He had Patriot Games. And he yep. had uh, Clear and Present Danger, which are two of my favorites. Uh, and then Air Force One, and then after that, it's it's real hit and miss. Uh, you had stuff like Random Hearts and Six Days, Seven Nights, and just didn't he stuff do that, that one with the firewall? Uh, uh, I think that was in the two thousands with the okay. firewall. Okay, yeah, because he had a a resurgence. Like he was kind of dead in the water in like the mid nineties. Yeah, mid mid uh, late late nineties, uh, early two thousands. Just uh, the box office movies had changed, and uh, the old bankable movie stars, your Schwarzeneggers, yeah. your Stallones, your Harrison Fords, they weren't really 
you know, uh, quite as big of a thing as they were. Uh, we but were in he, the franchise era of movies. But he sort of made a little bit of a comeback. You know, he had um, he had the Firewall movie, and then he also did. Um, he was really good in Age of Adeline. That was good. Well, I mean, he, he's he had some the, nice little appearances in certain movies. Yeah, you've seen him in different things. I like the the movie Morning Glory that he was in when oh, he was the, yes. the news anchor. That was pretty funny. And I think didn't he play Branch Rickey in the the Jackie Robinson movie Forty Two? He did. You're you know, right. kind of a character role that you wouldn't normally see. Well, him and in. it was sort of a it was very and a very understated role, but a very important one to the movie. Really, I mean, he did a great job in that movie and of course uh, he came back as Han Solo in 2015 for The Force Awakens and that was a big deal for a lot of people to see Harrison Ford back in Star Wars he famously did not really love being in the Star Wars movies honestly I was really surprised I mean they had to have really had to kind of twist his arm probably for a few years. To yeah, get they had to back up a dump it. truck with about $34 million oh in it. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I don't blame him. You know, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you, you, you're sort of, you want to be a movie star, but you're in that one movie that sort of defines you at the very beginning and you just sort of can't escape can't it. it. And then you become this big star, but that's the one thing you're always remembered for is Star Wars. Han Solo, yep. But I think he did, in some way, I think he did love the Indiana Jones movies. Oh, he loves Indiana Jones. Like, I mean, he's uh, 76, I think we looked it up before the show. And uh, he came back for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in 2009. Willingly. (laughs) Willingly wanted to do it. And he is really wanting to do a fifth film in the franchise. And now, as I said, we didn't really have a lot of movie news to peg it to, but in the last couple of weeks, they have said that the Indiana Jones 5 is uh, undergoing a script rewrite. So my hope is that, you know, they really tried hard to connect Crystal Skull to Raiders of the Lost Ark with certain plot points, but it just didn't mesh. I think, well, first of all, I think casting Shia LaBeouf was a terrible idea because he really didn't have any kind of, I don't think he had really any kind of connection with anybody on the screen. They didn't, he didn't have any kind of no, chemistry, no real chemistry with anybody, yeah. you know? And it was just like, it was hard to believe that any of them were related or, I don't know. It was and very th- strange. Th- that was the point in history in which Hollywood was trying to shove Shia LaBeouf down your throat. Yeah. You know, he was in Transformers. It was really successful. And then suddenly, like, he was... One of those guys that he was like in everything. Well, and I think with that movie, weren't they sort of trying to plan on kind of like what they're doing with Star Wars right now? They were hoping to kind of push it off onto a new generation. They were hoping to have a new Indiana Jones. I mean, clearly quite work out that way. I mean, the last shot of the movie is the hat blows off of Indiana Jones head and Shia LaBeouf's character, Mutt, is getting ready to pick it up. And Harrison Ford swipes it away from him and puts it back on. You know, it's just kind of like. Almost like that uh, scene with Terrence Howard in Iron Man when he sees the war machine armor and he's like, oh. next time, baby, yeah. next time, you know. <laughs> it's kind of kind of like that. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls is the highest grossing of the Indiana Jones movies, which is, you know, kind of ironic when you think about it, since it's sort of derided by a lot of people. You know, Harrison Ford loves the character of Indiana Jones, and I, I think everybody would say in 2009 when they did that movie, too much CG. You know, it, it kind of got yeah. the same thing that you got from some of those earlier Star Wars movies, the the prequels, where they, they kind of let the CGI take over. 
and got away from doing a lot of the practical effects and stuff. I mean, it opens with like a cartoon, you know, gopher or whatever, you know, uh, CGI gopher dancing. That was um, very Or groundhog weird. or whatever it was. And they kind of got away from sort of the practical effects that, you know, you were known for in the Indiana Jones movies, which were always big spectacles, but they always felt grounded and the hero always felt real. In Crystal Skull, you know, he does survive like a nuclear blast and it seems like he's more of a superhero than he is. Because the thing about Indiana Jones is he always seemed like this guy who was just like... Just a normal guy, pretty much. He was much. just really lucky when he went on he these was lucky, adventures. Yeah. You know, but he bled when he punched, when somebody punched him, it hurt. Sometimes when he punched back, it hurt him, you <laughs> know. And he just seemed like a guy at the end of the day was just exhausted. You know, like in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's on the ship with Marion and he's just like, everything hurts, you Aww. know. And then he gets hit in the face with the mirror, you know. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, the thing is, and, and everybody's free for their own opinion, but I, I actually, of the Indiana Jones movies, the one that I enjoy the least is Temple of Doom. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's just be real. What is the reason you do not like Temple of Doom? And I think it's the same reason I don't like Temple of Doom. Kate Capshaw. Exactly. Scott cannot stand five yeah. minutes of that character. It actually was not badly written. It's a great movie. It's got some I great think, action pieces. I think if they had taken Cape Cat Cape Capshaw out or had at least toned her down, toned my her gosh. down a bit, because you had her and you had Short Round, and it was just there were some points where it was just like someone just leave her in New Delhi already and just move on. Like if there's anyone you want to abandon in the jungle, it is that one. <laughs> I mean, I would have given her over to the cultists and left, I think. Yeah. Uh, she is so annoying in that movie. And so, you know, and for some pe- some people, that works for them, and that is fine. If uh, Some people, Temple of Doom's their favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. And, you know... And I mean, and I can see why. It's, it's a got great, great movie. action. It's got great action beats. Good story. It's just, it's a fun adventure. It's just... I just cannot handle her. I mean, no, I just, she, I can't, I can't No, She can't. runs, she runs the whole movie for me. Yep. And if, if you were to tell me, Hey, you have the choice between watching the temple of doom and watching kingdom of the crystal skull, I would rather watch kingdom of the crystal skull me because too. I think 85% of that movie is pretty darn good. It's, uh, they should have chosen a different MacGuffin. And it ended in a really unsatisfying and weird way. I, I think yeah. the alien stuff, I, I know they were kind of doing this sort of Indiana Jones and the saucer men from Mars type of thing uh, for the 50s and, and moving the, the villains to the to the Soviets was a good idea and stuff. But it just, that ending never really worked for me. So if they'd had a different sort of object of their quest to go through, I think that movie would work a lot better. Yeah. Um, but that said, I still prefer that uh, hearing Kate Capshaw's Willie Scott just... Ugh. scream every five seconds i just, i cannot stand it yeah but i mean from the round, moment she's introduced short round is such a gem i, oh, he's a great I love him i mean so not everybody in there is annoying no and it, it's not a bad movie and if i'm in a certain mood i can definitely watch and enjoy the temple of doom i'm just saying of the four movies that are out there i prefer the three others t- to watch also I like the tone of the other movies better. They're all a little bit lighter 
and more yes. adventure whereas Temple of Doom is a little bit darker. It's got some of that, that horror element to it. And it has monkey brains. Monkey brains. <laughs> I mean, Molaram's a great villain. Uh, the, the thuggy cult's pretty cool and everything. I like the minecart chase. Yeah. Uh, it's got great set pieces in it. The bridge scene is great. Um, you know, Kaliman Shakti and all that, all that stuff. It's a little <laughs> weird. And uh, so I've just got to be in the right mood, I guess, to watch Temple of Doom. And not everybody feels that way. Like I said, some people, that's their favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. And if it is your favorite of the Indiana Jones movies, that's fine. That's, that's your opinion. Just for me, it, it just does not work as well as the other movies. And I don't enjoy it as much. But I will watch it. I mean, definitely, you can't watch the Indiana Jones movies and not watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, that was a little bit of a tangent to introduce us. But Indiana Jones The Last Crusade came out in 1989. I believe it was released on May the 24th that year. It was a critical and financial success. Uh, ended up being the highest grossing movie in the world that year, beating out the 1989 Batman movie by like $30 million or so. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, executive produced by George Lucas, based on a story from George Lucas, and like a so pretty much standard operating procedure for how the other Indiana Jones movies were done. Uh, but it does have some some unique things to it. Uh, probably the the first ten minutes or so of the movie, we don't even see Harrison Ford. Uh, we hear Sean Connery's voice. Sean Connery. They introduced him as Henry Jones Sr., uh, Indy's dad. And uh, we we hear his voice in one part, you know, in that prologue. Well, what did you think uh, of the prologue, you know, there with the, the late and dearly departed River Phoenix as the young Indiana Jones? Oh, I used to think when I was a kid, I thought River Phoenix was so dreamy. And so when I was watching it, like, in the 1990s, you know, on home video, because I was obviously too young to enjoy it in the theater. I was only about six. Mm -hmm. But, um... I just thought, oh, he's just so dreamy. <laughs> he had magnificent hair. <laughs> well, let, let's let's back up and, and just mention, you said you watched it on home video uh -huh. because you would have been five when it was released in theaters. You would have yeah. turned six later that year. In but... fact, I think the Indiana Jones movies on video cassette were some of the first uh, videos that my dad bought. I, I wouldn't first surprise got me. A, when we first got a tape player, uh, we ended up getting the Star Wars movies a bunch of John Wayne movies, like the John Wayne collection, because we love John Wayne movies in my house. And uh, Indiana Jones, I think, was the other trilogy that he ended up getting. And, so, yeah. I, I mean, friend of the show, Dean Bankin, has a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster in the basement. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has his own little man cave basement, much like my own husband. <laughs> and he uh, uses uh, movie posters, obviously, to decorate the man cave, because it's the place where we watch the most movies. And, uh, yeah, he's had a, he's always had an Indiana Jones poster in about every house we've ever owned. <laughs> well, and, and, and your parents love Harrison Ford because you've oh, got yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark down there. The other, one of the other posters down there is Patriot Games. Yes. Uh, the, which was a really good, uh, movie based off a Tom Clancy book. And then, uh, the other poster that's down there is, um... Field of Dreams, Kevin Kevin Costner. But isn't there a Diamonds Are Forever yeah, my poster dad's down a there big, as well, uh, so Sean Connery? Yeah, and so, you know, when I saw Sean Connery in the movies, I was not, this movie, you know, in Raiders of, not Raiders of the Lost Ark, in uh, Last, Last Crusade, Crusade. I, um, I was not unfamiliar with Sean Connery because obviously in the early 90s, he was still a really big star. I mean, he was in The Rock um, with Nicolas Cage 
And, um, and then I think he's been in a few, he was in a few other movies as well. And, um, and then we also saw him, my dad was a big James Bond fan. So we saw him in the James Bond When he was young and dark hair. When he was young. So yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. I do remember seeing him in that movie. Well, and and the funny thing is he was really not that old when he did. Although he's just, certain people age, you know, differently. Like Harrison Ford at 58 or 56, 58 looks different than Sean Connery did at 58. Uh, you know, Connery had the white hair and the dark eyebrows and, and everything, and he just looked a little bit older than he really was. And it's interesting because they cast those two as father and son in The Last Crusade, but they're only about 12 years apart yeah. in age. So it would not really physically be possible for that to, to be the case. But Sean Connery always kind of skews a little bit older than his age uh, in those later movies in his career. Whereas Harrison Ford, especially then, you know, that he, he, he always looked younger than his age. Yeah. So even though Harrison Ford would have been like in his mid forties, then when they did Indiana Jones and the last crusade, he really didn't look all that much different than he did in temple of doom and, and you know, Raiders of the lost Ark. Well, star Wars, he was already in his thirties when the rest of the cast was in their right. late teens, early twenties. So yeah. yeah, I mean, he's always sort of been the older of the, the group. So I'm pretty sure that not quite like Anne, like remembering, like getting all the video cassettes and stuff like that. But I'm, I, I didn't see it in the movie theater. I don't think I was really interested in Indiana Jones when I was nine years old. Uh, I, I think I'd seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Maybe we had it taped off TV or something like that. But eventually, I, I did see that, and I just really love the Indiana Jones movies. And I would probably say I said at the beginning of the show it's a toss up between Last Crusade and Raiders of the Lost Ark, but probably if I'm going to pull one out and watch it over and over again, it's probably going to be Last Crusade because I do remember watching that with my dad and we just, we, we die at laughing at some of the things that happen oh, yeah. with, with, especially with his dad, you know, and you gave the diary to, you, you gave the, di- you know, you should have mailed it to the Marx brothers and, and, oh, and yeah. just all the, the, the funny <laughs> things that, that he does. I will say that, you know, not only did it really work that they did the um, kind of the prequel little segment at the beginning of the movie. So you kind of got to establish the relationship between Indiana and his father. You know, when you saw River Phoenix at the beginning of the movie, dreamy River Phoenix. Yeah, because you didn't um, have any of you didn't have any really context for that. No, fr- you really didn't. And so. And then they sort of set it up, and then Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, I mean, just from the beginning, had the most amazing rapport. And I think they must have spent some time together before they filmed, because they did a great job of sort of learning from each other and kind of emulating each other a little bit, so that you kind of got the sense that they really were, like, related. They were father and son. They kind of had the same kind of movements with their eyebrows, and... They just, it was just really funny. Like, they flirted with women the same way. As I say, they they romanced the same Austrian woman. (laughs) It was just very well done. Like, they did a, both both excellent actors who were able to really play those parts well. I've heard some people say that, like, The Last Crusade is like a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Not really. It hits some of the same story beats, but I, it's not a remake, I don't think, in any, any way. Nah. But it, it is more adventure-based, and, and like Raiders of the Lost Ark is. And then the MacGuffin of the movie, although the MacGuffin in, in Temple of Doom was a religious artifact, but Holy Grail kind of comes from the same school as your Ark of the Covenant. 
you know, as far as a religious Christian iconography sort of element to that. And, and something that, you know, Hitler's trying to possess. Right. Plus you've got the Nazis yeah. in there again, which you didn't have in Temple of Doom. So, you know, it's always good to see the Nazis back in movies. <laughs> In movies, in real life, not so cool, but in, <laughs> my dad, in movies. My dad, I love my father because anytime, you know, we're very German. We're a very German family. Um, and anytime, <laughs> anytime there are Germans in the movies, most notably, uh, my favorite is uh, when they fight the Germanic tribes in uh, Gladiator. My dad, um, the, sec- the first time we ever watched that, my dad goes, oh, look our ancestors <laughs> and they're all idiots like throw up with billy clubs you know trying to you know kill the romans it's just they're savages you know my dad's like no oh, yeah yeah our ancestors <laughs> and anytime you know we were watching the indiana jones movies and you see like these nazis and they you know they're they're sort of doing like a comedy act where they're because uh, you know obviously like any great adventure movie they have some fun stunts with the nazis you know and, um, of course they have the fight scenes and everything and, you know, they, they always get one up on the Nazis and, you know, they get tangled up in like, you know, curtains or something. And my dad's like, Oh, look, our ancestors, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> he just, he loves doing that during the movies. I have never, I have never gotten tired of it. It's just, it's hysterical the way he, I do, I do not do it justice. He does it much better than I do. And he does it with a straight face, which is pretty funny. So let, let's go back to sort of the opening of that movie where we, I, I, I sidetracked us. So sorry about that, but. Well, we, I was thinking about River Phoenix. So. Well, that, that'll get you sidetracked. <laughs> uh, but that, that's, you know, he's a boy scout and he's out with his troop. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, they see that something, you know, is kind of amiss. <laughs> My favorite is when they reference the everyone's lost but me. Yes, yes. <laughs> he gets away from his group. He looks around and he goes, everyone's lost but me, when really he's the one that's lost. But he, he finds these, this, this team of nefarious like grave robbers. I don't know what you would call them. Yeah. Uh, evil archaeologists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Evil archaeology—they don't have curly mustaches or anything like that, mustachios. But anyway, they're digging up a priceless artifact, and he believes it belongs in a museum, and so he steals it from them. And this leads them on a chase. They end up on like a circus train, and in this sequence, and it's kind of laughable, but it's also kind of—it's also cool. I guess it just depends on your mood or your view of it, but. Pretty much all of the things that we know about Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones encounters on this circus train. Um, maybe he was afraid of snakes before, but he is definitely terrified of snakes after he falls into a train car that's filled with snakes, you know? Yes, and he sees that ginormous anaconda that comes out and tries to eat him. Oh my gosh, yeah. And then, you know, he, he gets into a train car that has a lion, and so he finds a whip. And he's trying to keep the line away from him. And he hits himself in the in the chin with the whip. Which, of course, one of Harrison Ford's defining characteristics is his chin scar. So, oh, that's how Indiana Jones slash Harrison Ford got his chin scar. Too bad Harrison Ford. That's not how he got it in real life. No, no. Sad. Wouldn't that be cool if that's how he got it in real life? <laughs> that would be cool. He's like, yeah, I fell into a train car with a lion. <laughs> Hit himself with a whip. And a guy pulled me out. And then at, at the end, he... he actually escapes all the, the, the quote-unquote bad guys, runs home with the Cross of Coronado, 
and he's trying to tell his dad about what's going on and how wrong this is and his dad is really just not interested in it he's doing his grail work he's learned about the holy grail filling out his diary and he makes his kid you know count to to 10 in what is it is in greek, greek, greek. that he does yeah and uh, then the, the the like the police officers the, the sheriff shows up or the police officers or whatever and the the guys who were stealing the cross and he gives it back to him and the the guy that's the main sort of bad guy of the not really the bad guy but the lead guy of these thieves he has the leather jacket and the fedora and he's like you got hurt today kid you lost but that doesn't mean you have to like it and then he takes the fedora and he puts it down on the kid's head so in this sequence you know we have seen him uh, be cocky and pay for it we've seen him uh, be, become afraid of snakes or become deathly afraid of snakes. Uh, we've seen him get his chin scar, and now we've seen him get his fedora as well in this, you know, brief little sequence before the, the movie really picks up. And then the, it picks up, and all these years later, Indiana Jones has tracked down these guys and found the cross of Coronado, and he's he's stealing it back, and there's a, you know, it's pouring down rain on a boat, and there's fisticuffs and explosions. And he's lying... It belongs in a museum. So do you, you know. <laughs> but I, I do like that sequence. You know, even if it's got a little prequelitis with it being a little yeah. bit of contrived uh, conveniences in order to kind of build the Indiana Jones that we know today. I think it's pretty cool. And Indiana Jones is such a fun franchise. You know, it's just, it, they're just, the movies are just fun. It's sort of like what you saw years later with, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. It didn't really take itself seriously. Yeah. It was just a fun movie. And that's that's what I think Indiana Jones, you know, that's the magic of it. And then you get these people that just, I mean, Sala and Marcus, I mean, two great characters that we see in at least two out of the three films, we get to see those two characters. And, um, but Marcus, oh my God, Marcus is my favorite. And he shines so brightly in The Last Crusade. I mean, yeah, he's he great. had just a, a minor role, really, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You know, and they gave him some stuff to do in The Last Crusade. It's really funny. Yeah. And it was really sad that. You know, we were talking about this earlier when we had mentioned uh, the Crystal Skull when we were off air. But we were talking about, you know, how it was sad that, you know, they weren't able to bring Sean Connery back for, you know, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But he was retired at that time. But the saddest part was that the guy that played Marcus had died. Right. And so they couldn't at least bring him back. And, you know, it was just... I loved Marcus. He was so... He was just so great. I mean, and the guy who played him had just very understated comedic chops. Just, I mean, could just take a small moment and really just, I mean, his timing was perfect. Well, and and we, we quote this movie a, a lot. Uh, one All of the, one, the time. One of the, the lines that we quote a lot is, my soul's prepared. How's yours? You know, when, when, when they're on after in the boat chase and he's, Starting to, to, that guy's in the propeller. Oh, yeah, in Italy. Yeah, yeah in, in Italy. And then uh, we also love the part where, you know, the, he's he's gotten rid of the Grail diary. And they, they, they're like, where are these pages, Dr. Jones? We must have these pages. 
And, you know, he's, he's like, oh, he gave him, it's obvious he gave him to Marcus Brody. And he's like, you'll never find him. He speaks a dozen different, different languages, knows people from here to there. And he'll disappear. You'll never find him. Very next scene. Hello, does anyone here speak English? Does anyone understand a word I'm saying? <laughs> in this big crowded marketplace in Cairo. I mean, it's so funny. Th- then he runs into Salah there yes. and he tries to save him. And then, you know, he's, he runs off to, to they, they encounter some guys that are bad. And, and so he tries to get away from them. And you think he's run into safety into this marketplace, and then you find out he's running the back of a of a, a of a carrier truck. Yeah. And they load up the the, the, the gate and take him <laughs> off. <laughs> and I also oh. love it at, at the end of the movie after everybody has survived and everything, and he's like, "Follow me, Andy. I know the way." <laughs> and his horse just takes off. And he's like gonna fall off his horse, and they have to like they push have to him back run on. up and, and push him back onto oh, his horse. So well done. Marcus is great. And I, I guess, you know, part of the things that I, some of the things I do like in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are the little touches and tributes that they put into Marcus Brody. They put a statue in there. Uh, they named like one of the rooms after him or something like that. And because Denim, Denim Elliott had not, was, was dead and they couldn't have him in the movie, that's what they had to do in order to, you know, he wasn't around. So that's how they, they got him into the movie. But man, in Last Crusade, solid, solid comedic relief in that. And I'm glad Sal is back. He's great in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he gets a small role in this movie as well. He gets to go on the adventure with everybody there at the end. And he's he's a really good... I, I always liked that guy. He was in the Lord of the Rings movies as well. He played Gimli. John Reese davis I think, is his name. And he played Gimli and then Treebeard in like the weirdest dual roles in, in the movie series ever. <laughs> and I, I love, like you had mentioned, the interaction between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Their chemistry is just immediate. And, I, you know, they're in that, the Nazis have tied them up, they're in that room, and things are on fire, and there's like, Dad, what? Dad, what? Dad, what? <laughs> He's like, our situation is not improved. <laughs> <laughs> they're in that rotating room oh, yes. and 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 the, the, the they see the nazi lady and then she's just like smiles at him, and then she's like alarm <laughs> oh so great such a great movie so well done now of the indiana jones women where where would you rank elsa i think marion would probably be my top person she'd be the middle and then Willie would be way down at the bottom. I I I like her, but she can have some kind of, I don't know. She does kind of have some unattractive qualities. She's kind of a whiner in certain respects. I, I always hated that scene where they, they go back to Salzburg and they're going to take the diary back from her. And he's like, all I have to do is squeeze. All I have to do is scream. <laughs> I, I always hated that line. Um, from her it sounded so whiny yeah but you, you do have some good star wars cameos in this movie because oh, yeah obviously harrison ford is han solo is indiana jones uh the main bad guy in this movie is julian glover who played general veers in the empire strikes back and we just saw him the other night disrobing as uh, Grand Meister Pycelle in Game of Thrones. It was very awkward. Very awkward for everybody <laughs> involved. Uh, he's in it. And then, of course, in this movie, 
Indiana Jones actually comes face-to-face with Adolf Hitler, and that is uh, played by the guy from The Empire Strikes Back, who played not Admiral Piet, but Admiral Ozel Mm. is the same actor. They brought him in for a cameo. Interestingly, when he, uh, because what happens is they're having a a big, you know, as the Nazis tend to do, some sort of big book-burning ceremony, and they've got all the the people out, and they've got the parade going, and and the music and stuff, and Indiana Jones comes face to face with Hitler, and he's got the he's got the diary back. He's very happy to get the diary and get out of there, and uh, but then he presents the diary because it's all he's got, and uh, Hitler thinks that he wants his autograph, so he takes it from him, you know, calls for a pen, and signs his name in. And the original insert shot of that, they had spelled Adolf A D O L P H. Oh no! So they had to go back and shoot a new insert shot to spell it correctly. I mean, it's just a blink and you'll miss a cameo, but yeah, Admiral Ozel and General Veers are both in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Of course, Spielberg and Lucas tended to sometimes use a lot of the same character actors and stuff, so that's no no big surprise necessarily. Just all kinds of great moments in there. There's there's the part where he, he gets the pigeons, you know, they're being chased down by the plane, <laughs> and he takes his umbrella and he's like, tuk, 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 tuk. You know, and, and, and the pigeons fly through and, and down the plane. I suddenly remembered my Charlotte. I, right. Let my armies Let be, be the, the rocks and the trees and, and the birds in the, the sky. sky. <laughs> and, and I like it, too. They're, they're overlooking this hill of, like, this Nazi convoy. And, you know, the, his dad says something about, you know, we're too close. He's like, oh, don't worry. We're well out of range. And then it <laughs> overshoots them and blows up the car that's behind them. <laughs> My dad laughs at that just hysterically every time. I mean, and that's the funny, that's the best part is everything is still so funny. Even 30 years later. I mean, you can't help but watch that movie and laugh. I mean, l- just laugh to your stomach hurts because it's just so great so well done do you have a favorite moment i mean if you were to pick a moment from that movie do you have like a favorite oh there are so many but i think one of my absolute favorites is um (laughs) i do love at the end where they're getting ready to leave and uh he's (laughs) he says he says uh he calls him junior oh (laughs) you know uh that's what you know sean connery's character the dad he calls indiana junior because he's really Henry Me Jones, Jones Jr. Jr. That's his name, Henry Jones Jr. But, you know, Jr. every adventurer in history had some kind of cool name. I mean, he didn't want to go by Henry. So he picked Indiana. And you find out why and how he picked Indiana. And you find out that he named himself after the dog. Their dog that you see in that prequel shot at the beginning of the movie, you know, it's a very brief glimpse of a German shepherd in their house and the dog's name was Indiana. And I just love where he says, you know, come on, Junior. And he says, don't call me Junior. My name is Indiana. And he goes, we named the dog Indiana. (laughs) And then Sally goes, you are named after the dog. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of fun memories of that dog. well done i do love that you know of course the birds is a good one my brothers always loved the chase where you know they're on the motorcycle and sean connery's in the little sidecar oh yeah he's got his bag holding his briefcase and he's just you know and he's looking around as they're as the nazis are on motorcycles trying to catch him and they make it through the checkpoint but you know the arm goes down and then the nazis you know hit the 
hit the bar and they go flying on their motorcycles. My brothers thought that was the funniest thing they had ever seen. And we always had to rewind it so that they could watch them go over that again. Oh, man. It was just great. And I, I like that in in that part, too, where Indy looks very satisfied with himself. Like, he's having a really good time. And he looks over at his dad. And he's, like, very, he's like... He's very stern. Very disapproving <laughs> of all of these things that are going on. Look what because, you've done. I can't believe what you did when they were being rescued earlier. I can't believe what you did. <laughs> it's so great. You know, because he, like, completely knocked everybody out. And all these people are, like, lying on the floor and things are broken. And like Matt said, he just looks around. And he's like, look what you did. I can't believe what you did. And he's kind of, like, grabbing by the shirt collar and go, come on, Dad. You know, it's just so great. And, I mean, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention when they got on the Zeppelin. Oh, yes. Yes, the tickets. Yes. That's yeah. so well done. No, you know, tickets, please. And so Indiana... It's so great because they're having like this little heart-to-heart talk about, you know, how... You know, the last was... time we had a drink together, I had a milkshake. Yeah, you and know. he was just talking about how all throughout the years, you know, they had kind of separated and gone their separate ways because obviously his mom died when he was very young. And so his dad was really... His dad was not an adventurer like Indiana, but he was a professor. You know, he was very, he was very well educated and his, the, the grail quest was his life. Right. And so he spent a lot of times in, you know, a lot of time in libraries. He didn't really spend a lot of time with his son. And so, but it was great because they're having this heart to heart moment. And then all of a sudden it's sort of interrupted by this Nazi that comes on the Zeppelin you know, looking for them because obviously they're trying to get away. And of course, then they come by and they want tickets, which is so great. And and so Indy goes and he gets like this uniform that doesn't fit. He like knocks out <laughs> a guy, starts asking people for their tickets. To kind of blend in. To, to, to blend in. And then the main, the main bad guy whose name escapes me right now, but is just grade A movie Nazi material. Very creepy eyes. Oh, very creepy eyes. Uh, does track down his dad. He finds his dad. And just as Indy comes to the rescue, and he takes him and he pushes him out the window onto the luggage, and he looks around and everybody goes, no ticket. And then everybody starts reaching into their bags, into their <laughs> pockets, trying to get their tickets out to make and sure it doesn't happen to them. The best part is when I was a kid, my dad, my father has the best dad zingers ever. He just, he always picks the best moment of a movie to say something. And I just remember as a kid, you know, the, these Germans, they're all talking to each other in German. And then, you know, they get, they they have that scene where he throws, you know, the head Nazi out the window. And then he turns around and goes, no ticket. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, now they all speak English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, my brothers and I always got a kick out of my dad. He always had the best observations. And that's why he is a frequently mentioned guest on the podcast. Yeah. Because we watch a lot of movies with him. I love my dad. Actually, you could probably say I hero worship my dad. He is the best. No, he's he's awesome. Best best father-in-law you could you could ask for. Best mother-in-law you could ask for, too. I really hit the jackpot with with my wife and my in-laws. I love my brothers-in-law and their their wives and... Love my parents-in-law as well. We're so. all ridiculous, and we have a really good time yeah, together. Yeah. We just we just saw him for Memorial Day. We had a good time out there. Saw our little our little niece. She's growing fast. But. Oh my gosh! And one day, you know, we're gonna show her those movies, and hopefully, she enjoys them as much as we always. We're did. gonna tape her eyes open until she likes them. <laughs> 
Well, her dad loves the Indiana yeah, Jones yeah. movies, so I'm sure she'll be downstairs watching movies with us at Grandma and Grandpa's house pretty soon. So We'll be soon, you know, before we know it. We should probably bring out Moana. Oh, my God. When she's soon, probably, yeah. with Moana and Beauty and the Beast and stuff. She's to that age now where she likes to emulate and sing the songs and dance while she's watching TV, and I think she's just going to love that kind of music. Between her and our other niece, I feel like we know Fancy Nancy very well. <laughs> yes, Fancy Nancy's a good friend of ours. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary of the release of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's so hard to believe, like... I feel like 1989 was literally like five feel years like ago. That long ago. Like it does not feel that long ago. But it's yeah, amazing. I saw it on home video the first time, and that uh, was one of the we have the VHS tapes probably back home in Williamsburg, Indiana, somewhere. Oh, I'm sure mom and dad we have them. You know, mom and dad may have given them to us because we got a lot of we inherited some yeah, video that's right. tapes they gave from us my a VHS parents. player, and we got a lot of tapes. So we got yeah, we got some old school videotapes we'll have to take a look we might have them and we do have the indiana jones movies the dvd set they put out a few years ago so that's, of that's, that's got all I four mean, of them in there why wouldn't we <laughs> yeah uh, unfortunately when we had them then and uh, they didn't come with digital copies oh yeah you know how i am about my digital copies yeah, now some digital copies but it'd be great hopefully you know maybe for an anniversary or something they'll reissue you know a new set or something who knows i mean maybe they'll make a new indiana jones movie and re-release them and they'll have digital copies and then you'll be able to put the digital copy on well, they do have digital copies available i just would have to buy them separately and it's like i've already got them so i don't need to buy them you know separately i know you're trying to keep yourself from spending money yeah for the convenience of it it's not that hard to put a dvd or a blu-ray in the in the blu-ray player yeah it is i'm yeah, an enabler yeah, <laughs> now, a, a couple things before we're going to move on uh we wanted to try to, to get a quick podcast in this week because um i'm going to a reds game this weekend and so we're a little truncated on the time that we usually have to put things together but before we go to get to our you know what are you reading what are you writing do you think they should make another Indiana Jones movie? You know, I would not be averse to another Indiana Jones movie. Obviously, it's it's hard to kind of recreate the magic of Indiana Jones because, you know, we are kind of running out of uh, some of the characters that were so well-loved. Mm -hmm. I think, really, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull could have been better with, you know, Marcus and you know, Sala and, you know, being able to bring back Sean Connery and, and some of the characters that we've really, you know, been able to. Right. I mean, obviously they brought back Marion uh, for the Crystal Skull. Indiana Jones, I mean, obviously he's the glue that holds everything together. So no matter what, if Harrison Ford's in it, it's going to be great. But as far as the story goes, I mean, it is hard to imagine a new Indiana Jones without some of the key characters. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, where can they really go with it? You know, we'd have to go, you know, obviously we've been in the 30s, the 40s, Kingdom of Crystal Skull was in the 50s. Are they going to do like present day? Are they going to do like the 60s? <laughs> Are they going to do, you know, what, what are they going to do next? And, but I wouldn't mind seeing another one. I'd definitely go see it. And I mean, Harrison Ford still tries to do a lot of his own stunts. Oh yeah, he's and great. I didn't have a whole lot of problems with Harrison Ford and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I, I really didn't. I thought they aged the character appropriately. Yeah. You know, I, I do hope that if they go ahead and go ahead and do one more, and I think it would be great if, if they did, just try to avoid some of the traps they fell into 
maybe have something a little, like, not that religious artifacts are realistic, but there's a difference to me between religious artifacts and, like, space aliens or interdimensional aliens that live in the spaces between the spaces. It's weird. Like, they could have, they should have just stuck with something historical. I, I agree. Yeah. You know, um... And in the 50s, I mean, it's hard to, you know, come up with something that was so iconic. You know, you really wanted, I think they just wanted something iconic for the 50s. Yeah. And one of the iconic things was obviously. Yeah. Red Scare aliens. and Aliens. You know, that's that's what we associate, you know, kind of with 50s B-movies and stuff like that. So that's what they were going for. Uh, I wouldn't be averse to the fact if they wanted to bring back the Soviets as a, an antagonist if they keep it, because that would make a lot of sense if they keep, you know, in the 50s or 60s with it. I just hope that they remember, you know, practical effects, Yeah. you know, don't overdo the CG and give us something a little more tangible for like whatever your MacGuffin is, whatever you're looking for. Because to me, I think Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull really is fine as an Indiana Jones movie. Not Not maybe great, but... Good, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I remember going to it, and even after the ending and stuff, we were almost ready to get back in line and buy another ticket and watch it again because we did have such a good time watching that movie. But it does fall apart at the end. Uh, there's yeah, no, there's no, there's no um, escaping that. So just as long as they do a little more practical stunts, they give some more realistic kind of grounded MacGuffin and his, uh, historical MacGuffin, as you said. Then I say, you know, go at it. You know, don't don't let Indy be this superhero who never gets hurt and doesn't feel pain and, and stuff like that. You know, just let him, let him be the age that he is, you know, out there, maybe a little more spry than your average 76 year old guy, but definitely I think Harrison Ford can do it. And um, they did a pretty good job with it in uh, kingdom of the crystal yeah, skull. I mean, I didn't obviously, really you know, he wasn't, you know, 20, 30 years right, old, right. But they did a great job, like you said, of, of aging him appropriately. You know, he was a dad, you know, he was kind of a dad age, you know, he just kind of, kind of like my, you know, I always thought when I watch Harrison Ford, when I watch John Wayne, I always thought of, you know, it's so realistic because they never try to act younger than they are ever. I mean, even in Star Wars, Harrison Ford always acted his age. He didn't look his age, but he always acted his age. And I always think of, you know, like my dad or somebody that I knew in my reality. And that's how I would, you know, classify Yeah, that's them. how you would approach. I mean, yeah. they, they do a great job. So I, I would say, yeah, go for it. Especially because Harrison Ford has a love, a deep love of the Indiana Jones character. I mean, that's why he did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He wanted to work with Spielberg again and do a movie and do Indiana Jones. So I say give it one more go. Just make sure you, you avoid some of those pitfalls from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, the other question that I have, then we'll get to our what are you reading, what are you writing. Should they ever recast this role? Or if they do a fifth Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford, they should just, you know, sign off and be done with the character. Well, I feel like they tried to do the sun angle mm -hmm. and it didn't work. No. It didn't work at all. And I, and I, I think if they do a fifth one, that they're gonna, pretty much going to ignore all yeah. of that from the Crystal Skull. I think that if it comes to the point where he does retire, I think that's that should be it. Either he retires or they just end it in a way where you're satisfied that that's the last Indiana Jones movie. That should just be how it is. What if they de-aged him for this with, you know, like they've done with Michael Douglas and, yeah. you know, in the Ant-Man movies, you know, they did for Kurt Russell and 
Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like, how would they... Uh, what in what context would the de-aging take place? Well, maybe you have a parallel story with older Indiana Jones trying to figure out a mystery that younger Indiana Jones couldn't quite crack hmm. when he was younger. So you have sort of that classic Indiana Jones in some scenes running parallel with picking up that story in what is the movie's present day with the older Indiana Jones trying to put together maybe some clues that he didn't when he was younger. Interesting. That would be a good idea. And, you know, the way, like, we've talked about this before, the way they've done with, you know, de-aging software. I mean, it It's looks, gotten pretty darn good. It's gotten pretty creepy, especially with the last, you know, uh, Avengers movie. Disney and Marvel have really pushed that to new heights as far as I'm concerned. It's really incredible. Just just an idea. I mean, if you're going to do it, you may as well, you know. Uh, you've got plenty of reference footage of Harrison Ford being the age that he would be if you needed to do that. Uh, another another uh, pitch I saw from some people, there's a kind of a push online. There was kind of a push a few years ago online for Chris Pratt to be the new Indiana Jones. To take up, you know, because he'd been Star-Lord and he'd been the Owen Grady character in Jurassic World and stuff. And it's kind of that rogue adventure type of character that they thought he'd make a good Indiana Jones if they were to sort of recast and reboot the role. I could see that happening. I could see them doing a new Indiana Jones series. I don't know how I'd feel about him sort of being in a movie with Harrison Ford where he hands it off to him. Like, say, you know, he's a... Distant a cousin. Pre- well, no, I mean more like a... You know, like an apprentice or a an archaeological intern of his at the university or something. And then next thing you know, he's going on these adventures and sort of kind of doing what Indy used to do. I mean, I could see that happening, but I don't know how I'd feel about that. I think if they're just going to do a new Indiana Jones, they should just do it as a standalone. It shouldn't have any connection to whatever they decide to do with Harrison just Ford. Just take the character, put him in an adventure movie, and call him Indiana Jones. Yeah, I think they should just do the whole Harrison Ford. They should finish the Harrison Ford series and then, you know, do a standalone with Chris Pratt if they wanted to do that. What about Chris Pine? I see Chris Pine as a little bit too serious. You know how Harrison Ford has sort of that defacing humor? Like mm-hmm. he's just sort of reminds you of a goofball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't see that being Chris Pine. I guess I was just thinking of... I see it being more Chris Pratt. I guess I was thinking of, like, Chris Pine in Wonder Woman as Steve Trevor. And Chris Pine as, you know, the early version of Captain Kirk. But even those characters, even though he was fun and flippant in many ways, like, he had more of a gravitas. He has more of, like a serious presence, like more of a presence. Whereas Chris Pratt, you know, he'd be the kind sort of like Harrison Ford where he could be the leading man, but he does well, like blending with others, you know, like how Harrison Ford did well, you know, where he could, you know, work with uh, Sean Connery and in moments, you know, let Sean Connery shine or let Marcus shine or, you know, he, he really kind of could step back and kind of be, in the in the movie and not be like the standout where I feel like whatever Chris Pratt's in he's sort of like the the same way but Chris Pine is kind of like you can't he can't just blend into a scene he's like very prominent standout 
And, and the really the only reason I mention that is because Harrison Ford did an interview this week, or maybe it was last week, where he was talking about, you know, yeah, they're working on the fifth Indiana Jones movie. They're doing some script rewrites, and, you know, he's expecting to be in it and everything. And the, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, and then after that's done, there won't be any more Indiana Jones. And he specifically said, sorry, Chris Pine. So I don't know if that was a sly tip of the hat, if that was just fueling internet speculation, or huh. it's just weird for him to have just pulled that name out of his out of his hat. But who, who knows? And then there was a pitch from somebody several years ago that they should have Indiana Jones go and find the Fountain of Youth. Oh. And that at the end, he finds the Fountain of Youth, he gets in the Fountain of Youth, goes in as old Harrison Ford, comes out as Chris Pratt. Or, you know, somebody else that's younger and still Indiana Jones. That's weird. It's like a Doctor Who. Yeah, that, that is like a regeneration. And, of wow. course, now you could just do it as a de-aged Harrison Ford that looks like that he did in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But that just, like, that blows my mind. Like, like my mind is blown. That's an interesting idea. So I'm, interesting. They've got options to do more Indiana Jones movies. And, again, as we've discussed on this podcast before... Disney likes money. Indiana Jones movies make money. They cost a lot to make, but they make money. And they didn't just buy the Lucasfilm assets so that they could make one Indiana Jones movie and sit on that property forever. If they've got it and they think it can be profitable, whether they're licensing video games, whether they're doing books or comic books or a TV series, maybe they do an Indiana Jones Disney Plus series or something like that, Disney will do it because they own the property and... The thing is, while Disney does like money, and uh, they're as close to an entertainment monopoly anymore as we've got now, but I, I will say for Disney, as much as they like money and as much as they dominate the entertainment industry, they do put an emphasis on a quality product. And so if they were to choose to do new Indiana Jones movies, whether they were to recast the role or do an animated series or what, whatever they would decide to do with it, I think they would do a good job with it. They would hire good people it would be well-produced and well-written like most of their other stuff has been. Whether yeah. you're looking at the Star Wars movies or you're looking at the Marvel movies or their animated movies, Pixar, you name it, for the most part, and not that everything they touch is, they touch is gold, but for the most part, you can associ- associate Disney with quality. We'll just have to see where that goes, and I, I do hope they go ahead and, and get this script settled in that they can clear some time off of Steven Spielberg's calendar, because then that's the other thing. If you've got Harrison Ford coming back and you've got Steven Spielberg directing the movie, let's say, you know, Harrison Ford does hang up his fedora and his bullwhip and his kyber Bowie knife. Do you have somebody else direct those movies if you continue the series, if you reboot it? Because surely Steven Spielberg will not want to come back and direct more of those movies if he doesn't have Harrison yeah. Ford in the lead role. I mean, part of me sees Steven Spielberg as kind of going until he can't, you know, he can't do it anymore. But but, he, he, but by that time, he's probably going to have other projects that he wants yeah, to work on. But at the same time, I can also see him, you know, taking a step back from, you know, the franchise and being like, you know, it's handing time off for somebody else, someone new. Give it to J.J. So. Abrams since he reboots everything now. I will say J.J. Abrams, though, he's he's great. I, I, I don't have any problems. We we mentioned this last week. But it is kind of funny that he's sort of the go-to cash yeah, he, he cow rebooted when it Star comes Wars to that. and he rebooted uh, Star Trek, you know. He he rebooted Mission Impossible. He did the third Mission Impossible movie. So He's like, like the ultimate geek <laughs> that everybody wants to reboot their series. Like when you when you've got a franchise that you need to give a shot to, uh, you know, and a shot of adrenaline, you go and you get JJ Abrams to do that. So 
Well, he's a great writer too. Yeah, no, I again, we we like J.J. Abrams' stuff. Well, that that'll be an interesting. That is celebrating 30 years of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Anne's favorites in the Indiana Jones series. I'm gonna have to say probably my favorite too. Although I really, really love Raiders of the Lost Ark. What we have here is a Return of the Jedi situation. Return of the Jedi was the first <laughs> Star Wars movie that I saw. It left an impression on me. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, well, I had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't remember when I saw it, but I really remember watching Raider, uh, The Last Crusade more. And so it's kind of my favorite of that original trilogy of Indiana Jones movies and of the Indiana Jones series because, sorry, Internet, there are four movies. They all have the same character. <laughs> they were directed by Steven Spielberg, and they star Harrison Ford. All right, well, let us go to our favorite news segment. And one of these days, it will not be a favorite news segment. It'll just be our favorite segment. <laughs> we're still going to call it our favorite news segment. Wait for the jingle. What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you writing or reading today? And what you didn't see is that I just did jazz hands in the background. We both did. <laughs> So, Anne, what are you reading? What are you writing? What are you watching? Anything? Uh, right now, I am... I'm not writing anything. I am watching, um, of course, British television. Still watching Vera? <laughs> Actually, I made it through Vera. Okay. And now, um, I just also finished... Uh, it's very good. It had um, Martin Clunes in it. Uh, it's a British TV series uh, called... Manhunt, and it's based on a detective inspector uh, who used to work at New Scotland Yard, and um, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, uh, but he um, was very famous for um, hunting down, you know, serial killers and people who committed violent crimes uh, in the late 80s early 90s and was he kind of one of those guys who was sort of the head of his time yes i mean he was really i mean very intelligent very great and very you know good leader but i really am enjoying that i mean the season the first season was only i think three or four episodes but hopefully they'll have season two but it's based on this gentleman uh after he retired wrote basically like a, a memoir of all of his different cases. Okay, and on. they adapted and that. And they adapted that to, as a series. So it's really good. And then as far as, like, reading... And, um, of course, as, as longtime podcast listeners will know, when we say reading to Anne, that usually signals what audiobook are you listening to. Yes. Uh, right now, I am listening to Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I have seen, obviously, I've seen the really creepy movie from the 80s. <laughs> or was it 90s? I don't know when it was it, made. It was, it was 80s. Yeah, late 80s. I had never read the book. Oh, well, now you've remedied and that. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm more than halfway through. Um, it's really good. I mean, not as scary as... Obviously, the movie. Are you going to rent the remake? You know, um, they, they re remade Pet Cemetery a while back, not oh, too long ago, actually. I'm sort of on the fence. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I have a hard time doing remakes like that. Just because the first one was so, I mean, it was so good, but it was so scary. I just remember being completely traumatized by that movie when I was a kid. But at the same time, liking it. You know, it, that's the thing. I love Stephen King. 
But I mean, I will say that the movies that I have seen and some of the books I've read have completely traumatized me. <laughs> He's well, such a good writer, though. You can't look away or stop reading, you know. I had the same reaction to you as you, except I hated it and will never watch it again. Terrified me. And I, I don't like scary movies really anyway. I watched that one in high school with a couple of friends, you know, late at night. What did you think of, like, the story itself? It was good, but uh, the movie was just creepy, and and I, I'll I just it's not my it's not my thing. I mean, I've got you know pe- a lot of people like horror stuff and you know supernatural things, and that's just that's not me. I'm more I'm more adventure and and lightsabers. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I never want to see that movie again, and I have no desire to see the remake. So if you do rent the remake, <laughs> I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably sequester you to go watch it with your dad or something. Oh my god, I bet my dad would. You watch guys it. can go watch that. Turn the basement lights on. Watch it at three o'clock in the afternoon. My dad, I think, would watch it with me because I, I think he had seen the original Pet Cemetery, and he sort of had the same reaction that it was really good, but it was like terrifying i will never forget what he told me (laughs) about the exorcist (laughs) when he was in the military he went to go see the exorcist um he was in the army and i guess they were on leave on a weekend and they all went to go see the exorcist and uh he said he said boy because i really am so i was so glad that night to be sleeping in a room with like you know, all these guys in, in and the like, barracks, all these like 25 <laughs> bunk beds full of men. He's like, cause I did not want to be alone after that movie. He was like, that was the scariest movie I had ever seen at that time. And, um, he said the same thing about Pet Cemetery. He was completely terrified, but he's like, it's a good movie. So he may like, he may like the remake. I don't well, know. Well, we'll again, see. you guys can go uh, watch it by yourself. I'll watch some, uh, real, real housewives of wherever with your mom upstairs. <laughs> Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you, 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 we're reading something else. You read a certain uh, Marvel short story. Um, oh yes. This week I read Six Stones to Peggy, and I liked it. So we, I we, really we, did. Uh, the feedback is I've got a few little tweaks to make, so I'll be working on that. Just a few tweaks as far as you know clarification of certain scenes. Um, Certain language, like, you did a really great job of kind of capturing the personalities of the people, all the different characters, and um, I think that there was just certain tweaks in, like, you know, what people would say, you know, because there are certain times where I felt like the dialogue wasn't what somebody would say, but that happened very rarely, so... Not very many changes. I did not rip it apart. No, she didn't. I was was pleased, because, and, and, you know... If if I write something and it's stupid and it's like, this is stupid. I don't get this. <laughs> I, I couldn't even finish it, you know. Uh, but you, you did say you and liked sadly, it. Sadly, I have done that before. You have done to that before. Books. <laughs> Certain of my books she has not read because she just couldn't get past the opening or whatever. So that is yeah. perfectly, and that's that's fine. Um, that just tells me that I need to rework some stuff. And so anyway, I I think uh, again um, I'm going to make some tweaks and I'll send it back into Anne, and then I'm going to post it on my website. And then I think we will some week. We'll just do a kind of like we said, an audio drama. Of that it, would be we'll great. Just, we'll just read it. it it's about a thousand words, probably. After Anne read it, and I make some tweaks, I bet I cut two or three hundred words from it because I just tend to do that. I just tend to trim things down. Well, I feel like it's already pretty well trimmed. So, 
I, I just, I'm just, I'm like with a scalpel, you know, just going through <laughs> and, and just trimming stuff. So, oh man, uh, it's very rare that I'll edit things and you might initially add things like in a revision, but then when you go back and look at the revision, then you start cutting out things. And by the time you're done, you've cut out, you know, um, I had a manuscript one time that came out at 150,000 words, I think. And, you know, I cut that down to 95,000. Just wow. taking out extraneous scenes and characters and stuff like that. So it happens. But anyway, I'm glad that Anne read that and I'm glad that she enjoyed it. It's always a big relief to write something and know that somebody <laughs> has enjoyed it. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll put that on the website so you can read that. And then uh, we'll we'll do a little audio drama portion of it, and Anne can work on her Jane Foster impression. <laughs> well, what about you, Matt? What are you reading and writing? I am still working on the the big fella, the the book on Babe Ruth. Uh, I I think it has like sixteen or seventeen chapters or something like that, and I'm on like chapter twelve. Wow, so good the deal. chapters are really they're quite long. You know, the Kindle app will tell you about how many minutes there like, are in a chapter kind of based on your reading speed and stuff. I'm a pretty fast reader, but a lot of these chapters are telling you that it's going to be 35 to 40 minutes to read through. That's a pretty long read time for a, a chapter anymore. Uh, usually chapters are a little faster than that. Um, and then, of course, if you read something like a Dan Brown book, you'll have chapters that are like three pages. And yeah. so that wants to, you want to get to that next thing because you know you don't have too much longer to go. But the chapters do start to feel kind of long. Uh, but it, it's, it's an interesting book, like how Babe Ruth is just kind of one of a kind, like one of the first major, like, bona fide celebrities that the country had known. Uh, you have the convergence of radio and mass media and stuff in the 20s as, you know, sports writers and... Uh, the teletype and, and, and all that stuff and how they were covering Babe Ruth and, and how his legends grew. Um, it's really fascinating. It really is. Um, it is hard, though, to get a sense of Babe Ruth the man, but I, I think that's because it's just kind of one of those unknowable things. Um, this is a, a titan of myth and legend, and it's, it's hard really to sit down and get to know him. And I think that's something that the author of the book struggles with and is trying her best to communicate with you as a reader. But you're, it, it's really not a straight up biography. It's yeah. it's really more about uh, this guy and some of the different things that he did and how he changed uh, the way we look at athletes and celebrity and just kind of that culture. Yeah, because from what I understood, you know, he had told so many different stories about his life. Exactly. You know, where he grew up, where he was born. I mean, no one back then, you know, that was back when people had babies at home. And I mean, they could put anything on a birth certificate where you were born. You know, people changed their names. I mean, you don't, it's hard to know anything about anybody back in that era. Well, and I mean, just a lot of people thought that Babe Ruth grew up as an orphan, but he had, he had parents. His mother did die when he was younger and he spent most of his life, uh, all of his life growing up in, in like a boy's school. Mm. Uh, but it was, uh, sometimes they sent boys there uh, as, a, as a reformatory, and sometimes because uh, they didn't have parents and it was more like an orphanage. But in also, in some cases, parents could pay tuition to send their kids there. And in Babe Ruth's case, his dad paid tuition for him to go there. So, but I think, in a sense, Babe 
Ruth still can kind of considered himself to be an orphan because he didn't have a great home life and he spent the bulk of his time at this Catholic reformatory, you know. Well, and he was really one of those people that knew how to create a legend. Yeah, he you did. You know, he knew how to talk to, you know, writers and newspaper reporters and kind of make himself bigger than life. Yeah, he knew how to promote himself and he also had... Uh, a guy who he paid to manage his finances and promote himself. He was a big spender, never could take care of his money. Oh, uh, one wow. of the things that had a big rift between him and this guy that was kind of his press agent and his agent more or less is that he, he forced him to establish a trust. And this is money that you cannot touch and you have to put X amount of dollars toward this. And he, he did do that. Uh, but he didn't like that very much because he liked to he liked to buy cars. He liked to take ladies out to dinner who not, weren't necessarily his wife. He liked to <laughs> go out and drink and and eat and live live life large. And there was not always a lot of money left over from that. So, but no, it's fascinating to read. I think anybody who's interested in celebrity culture, anybody who's interested in Babe Ruth or baseball in general, um, how the game uh, has grown over the years, uh, I think would be interested in that. Uh, so I'm reading that. Writing-wise, I'm going to get Six Stones to Peggy, which, again, is a Marvel Cinematic Universe story based after the end of Endgame when Captain America takes the Infinity Stones back and replaces them to their rightful places in time. What happened in that story? What, how, 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 do you return, how do you return the Soul Stone? Devormir. I mean, Red Skull's there. Um, it's a soul for a soul, so if you give the Soul Stone back, do you get a Soul Stone in return? Uh, we try to cover a lot of that, a lot of that, or I tried to cover a lot of that stuff in that story, uh, just because it kind of sparked my imagination to how something like that could go. And we have some interesting cameos from some characters. Um, I'm going to have to whip that into shape just a little bit more based on some of the feedback from Anne. And after that, um, I'm going to the ball game this week, uh, Friday. Going to see the Reds play the Nationals at Star Wars Night. So I get, a, I get a Darth Vader bobblehead. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, they're going to have a Star Wars show and fireworks show after the game, and I'm going with my niece and my nephew so and my brother, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And then after that, next week, once Six Stones to Peggy Carter, the, the Peggy would be Peggy Carter, of course, for <laughs> Captain America. Uh, I, I played with the title a little bit. It, I'm still calling it Six Stones to Peggy, but I'm like, should I call it Six Stones to Peggy Carter? Or should I have it like Captain America in Six Stones to Peggy? And it's like, <laughs> just call it Six Stones to Peggy. The title's perfect. Just leave it. Stop it. Stop tinkering with it. And But after I get that done, then it is time to complete the Inspector Willie book. Oh, yay. I'm so excited. The long-awaited. We turned our turtle, I turned our turtle Willie into a detective, an animal detective, who learned how to be a detective from Netflix shows and BBC shows. And so when something goes amiss in the animal kingdom, they come and they consult the very famous detective oh, Inspector Willie. Yes, and my favorite is that he learned how to fight by watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How else would a turtle <laughs> learn to fight? Where else do you see turtles fighting? So, um, yeah, awesome. and he calls his, his martial arts discipline is called Iron Turtle. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I love it. So anyway, I, I've that's like eighty percent finished. I just need to dive back into it and write the ending and give it to Anne so we can go and, and you know make it make it better. I'd like to turn that into a series 
And I, so I'm, I'm writing that. That'll be the next thing that I'll write. I get that finished. You have anything to, to add? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, you know what that means? <gasps> what? That'll wrap it up for this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, at Statomatty, or drop me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com, and Anne, where can the people find you? Wherever Matt is. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you.